Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. Are you ready to unlock the full potential and growth in your business? You've already crossed seven figures in sales, but the challenge is knowing how to take your business to the next level. Join Josh Hadley, an eight-figure e-com business owner and investor, as he interviews highly successful business owners. Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world. Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hadley, where I interview the top business leaders in e-commerce. Past guests include Kevin King, Stephen Pope, and Howard Tai. Today, I'm speaking with Amy Wee, CEO of Amazing at Home e-commerce consulting. And we will be talking a lot about her experience in consulting other businesses, the good things that she's seen businesses do, and also a lot of the mistakes that she's seeing other Amazon sellers make and how to correct those mistakes. This episode is brought to you by Ecom Breakthrough Consulting, where I help seven-figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. Listen, Amy. I started Hadley Designs back in 2015, and it took me seven years to grow it to an eight-figure brand. There were a lot of mistakes that I made along the way that made the path of getting to eight figures take a lot longer than it needed to. There were a lot of obstacles and roadblocks that I faced, not only mentally uh, as to whether could I be a real CEO, could I lead an organization, or could my brand survive? Would I have the cash flow needed to be able to you know, continue to purchase inventory and grow the business? For our listeners that are, are hitting similar plateaus and roadblocks, if you want to learn the next steps to take your brand and business to the next level, then go to ecombreakthrough.com. That's ecom with two M's to learn more. And as a special bonus to my podcast listeners, this month I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session at no cost. All you need to do is email me at josh at ecombreakthrough.com and in the subject line, say strategy audit, and then plead your case as to why I should choose you and your brand to work with this month. And if you don't get chosen this month, don't worry, you'll be entered to win for future months to come. But today, I'm super excited to introduce you to Amy Weiss. Amy is the CEO of Amazing at Home e-commerce consulting, a world-renowned company that has helped thousands of brands launch private label products on Amazon and beyond. Amy's knowledge in product development, sourcing, marketing, and sales have enabled her to help countless entrepreneurs develop their own successful businesses. Amy's courses and consulting are ranked among the best in the world in Amazon Seller Poll. She shares her skills teaching classes at business organizations locally in San Antonio, Texas, coaching entrepreneurs around the world through virtual coaching sessions, and in-person events at AmazingAtHome.com. She also covers these concepts on her e-commerce tips and tricks podcast called The Seller Roundtable. So welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you for having me, Josh. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on. Amy, we first met back at Prosper a couple of years ago. You invite a group of friends to, uh, to go to lunch. And then I was in the midst of uh, this new group of friends that you had met. And so... I love that you are always, one thing I admire about you, you are always networking with people and talking and I, a social butterfly, so to speak. But there's so many people that know and respect you because you are so outgoing. So thank you again for that lunch a couple of years ago. Yeah, thank you for the lunch. You know, it was so great to get to know. You know one of the things that's great about going to these e-commerce events uh, is there are so many opportunities to network. and. 
you know, you just grab a couple people and say, hey, you guys want to go to lunch and talk? And that's what we did that day. And I got to learn more about your business and we really had mastered the hiring process, which is something that is so tough for entrepreneurs to go from self-employed to business owner and, and have that joy that, that comes with being a business owner. And so you started talking and sharing and I was like, wow. And you ended up coming in our mastermind group and talking about your processes. And that was so impactful for our group of people that are on the same path and your processes for, for hiring. Honestly, I mean, I've paid for courses on this. I've read so many books on this. Um, and you really simplified the process and you helped me in my own businesses. So I have you to thank for that. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Hey, it doesn't matter uh, what the content is until you start taking action. So. I'm happy to hear that uh, you've been able to have some success with hiring there. Now, Amy, you have so much going on. Why don't you give people kind of a lay of the land of what all you've got going on? Because you have your own e-commerce brand you're working on. You have the consulting company. You also are involved in the sourcing and from Mexico and all of those trips that you've been putting together that I'd like you to talk about. And then last but not least, on Facebook, because I've seen your post there, you also, you know, loan out or rent out your vehicles on Turo. Um, we could have some, we could have a whole podcast just on your stories there. Uh, but Amy, why don't you give everybody a, a quick rundown of what all you got going on? Well, I, you know, it's so beautiful having the world of e-commerce. There's so many things you can do. And um, back, I've been selling on Amazon myself since 2007. And uh, of course, as a hobby, not as like a major business or anything. I was in the United States Air Force and just started flipping my textbooks. Uh, I saw that little sell yours here button on Amazon and I was intrigued. Uh, I've always been somebody with a little side hustle or side learning thing going on. And I like to learn new things. I'm a sponge. So uh, I have a little bit of a squirrel chasing problem. I, <laughs> I like to learn new things and I'm never afraid to go after them. And so one of my skills as an entrepreneur is honing that, really, you know, focusing on those things that are making the most impact and um, keeping, you know, uh, the, each pipeline kind of moving um, along. So, uh, yes, I'm an Amazon seller myself and a brand owner. I invented a product in the cat space. I invented a better way to clean the cat litter box uh, based on the problem I was having. And that's kind of what started the rest of my businesses, because when I was vending this product from scratch, I ran into so many roadblocks. You know, I, I tried out for Shark Tank. I, uh, you know, I, I don't really think I knew that. What? I don't think I knew that that portion. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. a, that's a story in and of itself. I know. Right. I, you know, and I was. um I built my prototype. I built a, a 3D printer. I started, I realized that I couldn't source from China because it was too expensive. The product was too large. So that was another hurdle to overcome. I had to source in the United States. And I was like, wow, how am I? I called all these factories and none of them wanted to give me the time of day because contract manufacturing really isn't a huge thing in the U.S., of course, if you if you're sourcing something that's already being made here, like uh, principles or uh, you know facial 
lotion, something like that. It's very easy to just white label something in the United States, but to private label, to find a manufacturer, that was a huge hurdle for me to overcome. I basically had to pitch a business that really didn't even have legs yet in order to get a manufacturer to take on my product. And, um, and so I ran into all these hurdles. I contacted design companies to help me get my design manufactured in CAD because my product is plastic and needed to be injection molded. And I, all these design companies wanted $30,000 to turn, turn my drawing into another drawing. And, you know, Josh, I, I'm, as I've been in a male dominated career field most of my life being in the Air Force. And, um, and I've done a lot of things that would intimidate a lot of people. And so I, I don't give up very easily. I've failed a lot. And, you know, in the military, they kind of teach you just keep moving, you know? And, um, and so I just decided, look, this is really making me mad that I'm running into so many roadblocks here. This can't be impossible. Brands bring new products to market all the time. So I just let that fuel me. I let it motivate me. I was like, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to share with anybody who will listen along the way. And that's what I did. So I started sharing. I just started going on Facebook and YouTube and being like, this is what I learned about patents today. This is what I, I talked to this person. I learned this, you know, whatever. And before I knew it, I started gaining a following and people couldn't believe I was giving away all this information for free. And I didn't care. You know, I was like, people join me. This is a lonely journey. You know, like, let's figure this out together. And, um, yeah, started writing listings uh, to pay off my loans. My loans cost me $42,000. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so I started writing listings on Fiverr and I had this knack, you know, I was in cybersecurity before. So I had this, I have this SEO knack where I know how to take keywords and uh, take basically a very saturated product and assign new keywords and help people sell out. So I was doing that with all these different listings. I would just find new keywords for them. And all these people who were hiring me on Fiverr to write their listings and selling out of these saturated products were going, how did you do that? And can you teach me? And mm. I kept saying no. So I was like, I don't consult. I still have my full-time job for the Air Force. I was still working on launching my own products and figuring out importing and sourcing and all those and manufacturing and all those things. And uh, and finally, I said, yes. I was like, okay, okay, whatever, just 50 bucks, <laughs> meet me online, let's, let's do it. And uh, before I knew it, those people started having massive success. And uh, I was like, okay, I, this is the thing. So that's how Amazing at Home was born. I had a, a domain name. I built the website over the weekend just to get off of Fiverr because Fiverr's fees were so high. And I uh, just really enjoyed helping people and being on this journey with others. So I continued to build that community. And then I started taking people to China on sourcing trips. And here we are all these years later, taking people to Mexico now and owning my own trade show in Mexico. Awesome. What a journey. And I love that, you know, similar journey to myself where, you know, you are working full time as you got your business started, right? You didn't just jump in cold turkey. And you're like, this sounds like fun. Let's just jump in. You know, I loved, you know, my job at American Airlines. I continue to call it. That's my venture capital that I received, right? Because that's what paid the bills. That's what allowed us to keep moving forward and reinvest in the business time and time again. So 
I think that's an important principle for people is that, you know, go in methodically, um, you know, don't jump ship just because you have one good idea one night. It's like, go prove it out because you're going to face a lot of obstacles just like you talked about, Amy. And that's what I would love to dive into. I would love to, you know, prior to this podcast, we talked about a few of those mistakes you've seen other people make and some of the challenges you faced in your own brand. And so let's discuss some of those mistakes um, and then also the successes that you see people having as you do consulting for them. But before we dive into that, let's go ahead and talk about your most recent obstacle that you faced with your own products and you know what have you done as a result of that and any advice you would give to the audience. Well, yeah, we were talking about um, it's Q4 and the most amazing time of the year. And uh, my best selling product has been out of stock for over a month, uh, at least $40,000 lost. <laughs> and uh, that really sucks. <laughs> really sucks. Um, so, you know, there's been so many supply chain changes with, uh, with Amazon, right? So we had created a shipment. Amazon just switched to a new um, shipment uh, layout, I guess you could call it. Um, and this has really caused problems. In fact, I went to Amazon Accelerate, which was a conference in Seattle, and just to meet with um, Amazon shipping people and talk to them and get some solutions because we were having so many problems where they would give us a pickup time. We have our own warehouse, uh, it's like right, very close to our home. And that's where we keep all of our inventory and everything like that. We have a loading dock and everything. So we ship right out of San Antonio, Texas. And we were, you know, creating our shipping plans and Amazon would assign um, a pickup timeframe, eight hour timeframe on a day. And they did not give a phone number or anything to call, like just nothing. You can't give them a phone number. There, There's nothing. You're just expected to be available for eight hours. That's and crazy. We have a warehouse, but we don't plan it. You know, it's like storage, right? It's not. It, so anyway, we go there and uh, we put up signs everywhere. It's, it's called this number for pickups, you know, and luckily there's another business there. It's actually our gym. So um, they can call us if somebody shows up. Um, and so we're just trying to figure out, all right, how do we be there for eight hours and uh, not miss a pickup? And Amazon doesn't show up. Their carrier does not show up the whole eight hours, nothing. And so we call, we open a case. Um, hey, the provider didn't pick up. They give us a new pickup date two weeks later. Mm. And it's multiple carriers. It's not just one. It's multiple carriers. Um, so, you know, one carrier could be picking up a shipment going this way and another carrier could be picking up a shipment going this way. So we ended up merchant fulfilling some of those products because we couldn't wait two weeks. We would have been out of stock. So we merchant fulfilled some of those products and we had 81 units left. So for them to pick up and uh, which was the other shipment. Well, the wrong carrier picked it up. So <laughs> the wrong carrier picked it up and then ended up um, being because it was the wrong, I think, ARN number assigned to it. And so we had to track that down, get them, get Amazon to assign a new ARN to it. Then they dropped it off to that fulfillment center with the proper ARN on it. And it took over a month to get checked in. Uh, in the meantime, our other stuff in China 
was delayed. We had one, uh, we have one component of the product. So this product is made in the USA, but there are different components that we ship in from other countries because uh, we can't get everything in the US. And, and so we were waiting for, you know, we had some delays in China. There's been a lot of COVID delays, stuff like that. So we're waiting for these, uh, this one component to get shipped in and, uh, and then also waiting for those units to be checked in at Amazon. And so, yeah, we basically missed Q. And it was it, today, those, the 81 units became available. And luckily, our other shipment should be here any day now. And then we can be fully in stock again. But between, you know, supply chain challenges in the U.S., uh, working with factories in the U.S., I'm trying to actually move my factory from the U.S. to Mexico right now because um, it's like sometimes it's nine weeks lead time. Sometimes it's 13 weeks lead time. It is very difficult um, to work with a supplier in the U.S. Uh, there's no negotiation there. You know, prices go up, the prices go up, um, at least for a plastic injection product. You may have more control mm. if you're white labeling something or doing other things. But uh, in my case, it's been very tough working with the U.S. Um, and so, you know, as much as I would love to continue it. I'm, I'm looking for other alternatives. Just like every seller, you should never put all your eggs in one supplier basket. So maybe I keep working with the supplier in the U.S., but then I start some operations in Mexico to kind of add some diversity and then, you know, eventually move things over. But that's what I'm working on right now. And those were some of my lessons learned. So what could I have done? Um, I, I really, in terms of troubleshooting this, one of the biggest lessons that I learned in, in the military is it's, you know, as long as you learn something, as long as you learn and you identify what we call an instructional fix for whatever problem you face and you don't repeat the same mistake over and over again, then it's actually a win because you can prevent that thing from happening again. So now what we're working on is identifying, okay, what could we have done in this situation? One, we could have made sure that we weren't going to run out of stock of merchant fulfilled products. So at least while we had supply chain issues with Amazon, we could have continued to merchant fulfill instead of being completely out of stock. So that was a lesson learned there. We implemented a new inventory tracking system uh, by Deban Strategic called Stockflow. It is incredible. It, it's even for seasonal products. It um, identifies your uh, sales peaks, and it tells you exactly how much stock to send into Amazon every week, um, pulls your sales data, everything like that. So we've been utilizing that, and that has really, really helped us. So the rest of our products, which we've had issues in the past, staying in stock and making sure we're sending enough into FBA and all of that, um, have remained in stock all of Q4. Uh, so that was our instructional fix. That was our lesson learned. And um, and we look forward to, in the future, not running into this issue again, worrying about the things that we can control. We can't always control Amazon. We can control Merchant Fulfill. We can control our inventory. And so we've implemented fixes for that. Awesome. Now, Amy, I love that you've taken away some, you know, some adjustments in your own processes in order to overcome those obstacles, because that's what I feel like is one of the most important things, just as you mentioned, is being able to learn from the mistakes or the challenges or the roadblocks that you face. Because if you just say, 
hey, woof, thank heavens we made it through this time. We made it through just by the skin of our teeth or or maybe we actually completely failed. And if you're just like, well, we'll try again next year, right? It's like one of my favorite tenants or core values that we have in our business is never kind is never relying on what's worked in the past to to do it again, right? To just acting as though what worked in the past is going to work the exact same in the future and vice versa. If it didn't work in the past, expecting that, well, that was just a weird nuance. So we'll just follow the same process next year, but hopefully those those problems don't arise again. So I think that's important for the audience to take away. But I love what you talked about in terms of, you know, diversifying your risk with manufacturing and supply chain. And you've been able to find a lot of that in Mexico. So why don't you tell us more about Mexico? Why have you been so invested lately into, you know, sourcing for Mexico? Well, you know, it's really, we used to go to China all the time. You can go twice a year during Canton Fair times and and I still source from China. I, I love my manufacturers in China. They're wonderful people. They're very efficient, really great. Um, so I don't think that there's anything wrong with China. But at the end of the day, uh, one of the biggest things that all of us have to realize is that we have options. And, um, and that, you know, we don't ever, whether it comes to only selling on Amazon, putting your eggs all in that one sales channel basket or only using FBA. What happened during the pandemic? Everybody who was only using FBA, their stuff got stranded. Meanwhile, we tripled our sales because we were able to merchant fulfill. Um, so that's, that was, you know, a huge learning thing. And so many people are learning that with restock limits. We talked about that, you know, like, Hey, maybe we need to start digging more into these other sales channels so that we are able to drive more traffic to Amazon and have even greater restock limits now that things are changing. Right. Um, so I think it's important to never put all your eggs in one basket and to always know what your, your options are. And so Mexico was a natural um, solution, potential solution. If we look at injection molding and manufacturing around the world, Mexico's number two in injection molding right behind China. So, you know, when we look at even electronics, Latin America is just as high in electronics manufacturing as China is. And a lot of people don't realize that. One of our speakers on uh, the Mexico trip, he's, he's an engineer and he specializes in helping electronics companies move their supply chain from China to Mexico. Uh, big companies like Seagate uh, have completely moved manufacturing to Mexico. Uh, Chinese factories, major factories in China are now reopening new facilities in Mexico. Why? It makes sense, right? It makes sense. You've got um, free trade. As long as your product is 70% uh, produced in uh, Mexico, you've got the free trade. Uh, so that's a wonderful opportunity there. You actually have lower labor costs in Mexico than you do in China. China labor costs have risen. Um, and you have a highly educated and motivated workforce in Mexico, which uh, that is also changing in China quite a bit. Uh, we're all finding with our factories and, you know, talking with my factory owners um, every year after Chinese New Year, a lot of their uh, employees do not return. And it's mm. very hard for them because e-commerce has really taken off in China. And so 
a lot of these, um, you know, it used to be you could walk through a factory in China a few years ago and they didn't have, you know, they didn't sell in e-commerce. Nowadays, that's nearly impossible to find a factory that doesn't sell in e-commerce. So hmm. the workforce is evolving in China and it's causing some um, some issues in terms of supply chain, not only for labor, um, for quality control, you know, so there's even the Chinese are looking for alternatives to different places to open up factories and things like that. So I think that all of us have to evolve. If we look at any company that does not evolve with the times, what do we find? You know, we look at like the Toys R Us stories and we look at, you know, the top 50 retailers in the United States of America also have e-commerce websites. Uh, so it's very important for us to pay attention and make sure that we're looking at okay, what's next. And also when we look at, you know, how many issues did we have with, with um, ports being backed up and with our, with our uh, supply chain just being at a complete stoppage. Um, and we were all talking about, man, for Q4 this last year, you better get your stuff in by August because there's no way the October timeframe is dead because there was so much, you know, port backup and everything uh, prior to this Q4. So this year it was a little bit better. We had some catch up, but we really need to be paying attention. And so for me, I'm right here in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, I travel to Mexico a lot. I love Mexico. And I always see all these things, even here in San Antonio, made in Mexico, right on yeah. our grocery shelves and everything. And I'm like, where are these factories? <laughs> you know, I'm just being a sourcing expert in all these other countries. I'm like, how am I not understanding what's going on in Mexico, the potential in Mexico? And so I thought to myself, you know, there's no, you can't really find these factories on Alibaba. A lot of them don't have a web presence. Yep. They haven't needed to. So we thought, you know, my partner, Tim Jordan, and I, we were like, let's just go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's take people to Mexico. Let's go. Let's discover it ourselves. Let's see what's going on. Well, little, little did we know there aren't any multi-category trade shows in Mexico. There's mm. no, you know, if you can find these huge automotive trade shows, or plastics trade shows, or gifts, or toys, you can find that. That's great. But if you want multiple categories like global sources or AST or um, can't unfair, you're not going to find that in Latin America. So we crazy entrepreneurs, what did we do? We said, let's start. And uh -huh. it's been a wild ride. It's been a wild journey. Our first event was in June and we had over 700 sellers show up for that and just over a hundred uh, suppliers uh, show up for the trade show. And it was so wonderful to learn of all the capabilities in Mexico and um, and the warmth of the people and um, to truly just start this journey of figuring out what sourcing in Mexico looks like. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like you found a problem and you've uh, created that solution to that problem. And I'm excited to see how that uh, new Mexico style Canton Fair uh, grows over the next few years. So thanks for starting that, uh, Amy, for all of us other sellers. The other thing I would love to dive into here, Amy, is as people come to you asking for help in their businesses, wanting to grow their brands, what are some of the mistakes that you are seeing and maybe some case studies that you can share? People that have come to you with problems, what type of problems are you seeing sellers making? I would say the biggest issue that I see is that people do not know their numbers. 
Um, you know, I think all of us were bright eyed and bushy tailed when we started a new business and we are in love with the idea of making a lot of money and getting that freedom. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's what's going to drive you to keep going. It's very scary to take a leap on your own. Uh, but a lot of the people, that's one of the first things that I go over with people. It's like, what's your landed cost? How much are you paying your supplier? Who is your supplier? Do you even know who they are? Or have you just had a chat conversation on Alibaba? So the thing is, we all know nowadays, we really need to differentiate our products. We need to have a way of protecting them. We can't just copy other people's products. And it's very tough to just white label anymore because sellers are smart and they're now protecting their copyrights. They're doing design patents. They're very, they're getting smarter, right? Um, and so not only do we need to take the time to differentiate and learn product development and learn negotiation, learn how to vet suppliers and really develop those partnerships, uh, but also we need to understand how we're going to become profitable and the costs that are involved. So 90% of the mistakes that I see people make when they come to me is they don't really know where the money is going. They know that they're not making any, right? Amazon holds on to like 50% of it anyway, right? In account reserves, so that doesn't help us. But people don't realize that this is a scale game and we need to know our numbers. You don't have to be an accountant. I highly recommend you hire one, but that doesn't mean that you don't need to be aware of your numbers. You need to know what your costs are. You need to know how to run your numbers um, in terms of, understanding how much is this, how much for this unit, this is called unit economics, for this unit, for this few, how much is it costing me to acquire a customer through advertising? How much is, how much profit am I making on average? How do I calculate that? You can actually calculate that very simply with some basic reports. So I usually run through that with new clients from the very beginning and say, okay, what are, what's our landed cost? And do we have enough from landed cost to retail price to actually be profitable? And what I like to see is a minimum 7x multiplier um, mm. for products. Now, unless you're selling a ton of volume, right? If you're, you're, if you're playing, if you're making your own Walmart on Amazon, and you have a ton of SKUs and you, you, you know, you've got a narrower margin, but you're making a lot of sales and your advertising cost is lower, that's great. But if you're a new brand with one or two products, you need to make sure that you're number one, differentiating in a way that matters to the customer so that you don't get stuck in a price and review war. Number two, making sure that you're protecting your supply chain so that you actually understand who your manufacturer is that, and you're vetting them. You're not having just an Alibaba chat conversation. You're doing real negotiation. That supplier is your partner. You have contracts with that supplier so that you're able to actually protect your supply chain. The amount of suppliers that are selling against uh, their own clients is astounding. Um, it's just insane. So if you don't have those contracts, I'm actually in litigation in China right now with one of my suppliers. Oh, wow. And it is uh, it has been a long road. And I'm so grateful to have my attorney in China. I'm so grateful that I set up contracts from the very beginning. But a lot of the problems that I help sellers with 
stem from their supplier knocking them off, stem from them not having enough margin and not even understanding who their supplier is. You can't have a contract with a trading company. They're sourcing from a factory. So mm-hmm. even if, if, if you're just white labeling something and you can protect it through copyrights or whatever, then you can get away with the trading company. That's okay. You can have a basic contract with them. That's okay. But if you're developing a product, you want to make sure you're not sourcing that through a trading company because you cannot protect it. Um, yeah. So these kinds of lessons, these are the things that we need to learn from the beginning. Um, so many people are just starting Amazon, um, you know, brands, brands on Amazon and just watching some YouTube video, teaching them to source it for $5 off of Alibaba and sell it for $15. And then before they know it, by the time they come to me and we do their numbers and we realize they're losing money with resale, they're paying mm. Amazon to sell their products. And the amount of people that I find this with is astounding. Um, so really? how do you turn it around? I think that's the big question. So if you're here, you're listening to this podcast today and you're like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not one of those people. I'm not making any money. I mean, I'm making sales, but I don't know really what's going on. How do we turn it around? Um, and this is what I work with people. So what we do is, first of all, we look at your supply chain. Can we recover any money? Can we source this product for a lower price and maintain the quality? And, you know, do you have enough margin? Uh, to make money on this product. And if not, can we fix that margin? The mm-hmm. second thing is, based on your sales goals, is there enough space in the market? So a lot of people will come to me and they'll go, I want to make, you know, I, I really need to be making 20,000 uh, 20, a month on this one product. <laughs> and I will ask, you know, what are you basing that on? Is there another competitor that you think you can steal market share from? You know, we all have these great tools. You know, what, what are you basing that on? Um, sometimes people don't know. They just kind of willy-nilly pie in the sky. You know, so we need to use data and look at the data that's out there and go, okay, this competitor is, you know, some of my closest competitors are making X, Y, or Z. I realistically think I can steal some of that market share with the following tactics. And so we'll identify those tactics, right? Um, and then we'll get to taking some of that market share. If you don't, if, if we get together and we don't see a way where we can steal market share, where we can grow this product, then we need to go back to the drawing board and change our strategy, right? If we can't recover costs, if, if this is just a price and review more product and we need to move on and do better, um, maybe we can expand the product line through changing up the product slightly. We could differentiate a little bit more. We could resource it from a new supplier. A lot of people just totally miss the opportunity of variations in multi-packs. I mean, that alone can just totally, I know Josh, with your brands, you've done that to, you know, just the nth degree to eight yeah. <laughs> You know, so like looking at your existing products that are selling well, your, your kings, your cash kings, and going, how can I build on this, right? Can I sell it in a two? What's the buyer behavior, right? Can I change the colors? Can I offer more on that same listing with that same supplier that's already doing really well for me? So looking at those opportunities to grow your brand, um, knowing your numbers, and then making sure that you're paying attention to your supply chain and you're differentiating in a way that matters to the customer. If you do that from the beginning, you're going to have an incredible chance at, um, at being very successful in this business. 
I love that. Amy, I want to dive into you had mentioned, you know, as you kind of take a look at the market, you said, hey, can we identify some tactics to maybe steal share away from some of our competitors? Do you mind going through a list of what maybe some of those tactics might be for people to have in their mind of strategies when they enter a new market of ways that they can penetrate and gain market share? Well, I know people can't see me right now, but when Josh mentioned that, my face just lit up because this is my favorite part. <laughs> I love making sales. I, it's the war planner in me. It's the war fighter in me. I'm like, yes, this is war. Let's go. So I get very excited about that. Let's get into it. The first thing that you need to pay attention to is your placement, right? Think of this page one, your customer's page one for your medium to long tail keyword. How can you improve your placement? And there are several ways to do that. The first and easiest way is SEO, guys. We're in e-commerce, right? If the customer can't find us, they can't buy from us. I have a client that makes a, um, she makes a, a dog bowl. Um, it's very custom. It's very cool. And so, you know, we found that medium to long tail keyword. We found her customer's page one and she was nowhere to be found organically or in PPC advertising. So I'm searching just like the customer would. And I'm looking on the page and her product is so much better. It's cooler. It would totally stand out. It would totally convert. It's at a better price. It looks better. It's awesome. So I'm like, why isn't she on this page one? Okay. Clicking through, I'm looking at it. She was on page three organically and her ads were nowhere to be found. What a lot of people don't realize is if you're organic, Rank sucks for your customers page one, your ad placement is going to suck too because PPC goes off of relevancy. If you have the highest bid in a PPC war, but your product is not relevant, your placement for your PPC is going to suck. <laughs> so mm -hmm. the first thing that you must do is play the SEO game. So, you know, we got to put our little hacker hats on and we need to look at those keywords and we need to look at, okay, are we playing to the search engine? Are we looking super relevant for this medium to long tail keyword to the search engine? And so with her, I noticed she didn't have this, this, it was like four or five word keyword phrase anywhere in her type. Intact. Phrases intact are so important for SEO and relevancy. And so a lot of times when I'm reviewing listings, I do free listing reviews for people. Um, but when you, when I look at a listing and I look at the potential for relevancy, I'll see individual keywords smattered throughout the listing. That does nothing for the search engine. It does nothing for relevancy. When that search engine crawls your listing, it's looking for those keywords intact, those keyword phrases intact. And it's going, ding, oh, okay, it's relevant for that. Ding, it's relevant for that. Ooh, it's very, very relevant for that, right? So all I did with her listing, she had a lot of keyword phrases intact because guess who wrote her listing? Okay, good. So, and, you know, looked great, but this was after selling for a little while, right? So we've identified those page one keywords, right? And all we did is change that keyword phrase, put it in her title. She was on page one the next day, triple her sales. So mm. that's it, right? Making that one little change. So, and then what happens with PPC? I have another client who's in the UK, who's done millions of retail sales, unique, awesome product. He came to me and he wanted me to audit his PPC provider. And uh, I do that a lot. I get into people's PPC 
campaigns. I'm in, I'm in SEO nerd. Remember that. Like, I love this stuff, right? Um, so I, you know, I'm looking at his PPC and I'm like, actually, it looks great. Like, all of your major keywords are here. You've got placement modifiers here. This looks awesome. Like, there's nothing wrong with your PPC. I went and looked at his listings. No keyword phrases in no kind of important or not. So what we did, we rewrote his listings, made sure that they were playing to the search engine, super relevant, super in-order keywords, right? And what happened? All of a sudden, his PPC ads on page one, top of page one, all over the place, mm. in all the most important places because now his listing is relevant. So if mm. you're spending a bunch of money on PPC and you're making all your, your sales from PPC, and you're not making organic sales, it's because your listing optimization sucks, guys. <laughs> mm. Or it's because your product is too competitive. If you can't answer the question, if you're on your page one, but you're not converting, your customer's page one, but you're not converting, and you can't answer the question, why would someone buy from me and not my competition? And you're not showing that in your photos, you're, you're not going to win the war. So in some cases, I have to tell people, look, guys, this product has no potential. Like, it doesn't matter if we optimize the heck out of the listing. There's no reason you're in a pricing war. There's no reason that a customer is going to buy from you and not the competition. And that is one of the core principles that a lot of people don't understand. And they'll just continue instead of letting go of that dud. Or making that slight change, it's going to make them stand out on page one. Even changing your packaging and making it retail ready and putting that in your main image can set you apart. So that's really what it comes down to. That tactic alone, that's how you still market share. You get mm. relevant with your search engine or your customer's page one. And then you make sure your placement rocks and you make sure you're converting. Show me the money. That Jerry Maguire picture is what I put on all my PPC training. Like, show me the money. I don't paying for clicks that don't convert, right? And I want to have amazing organic placement. So those are some strategies too. I love that. What a great, what a great summary. And I love that you shared some practical case studies with us. Um, so many tools that people can use and dive into. And I know you have a lot of courses and teachings that you've shared with that. So I encourage our audience to uh, go check out Amy if, uh, if you want to dive deeper into everything that she was talking about today. Amy, this has been such a fun conversation. I've learned a lot along the way, and I hope our listeners have too. Um, before we wrap things up, I love to leave our audience with three actionable takeaways from each episode. So here are the three takeaways that I noted. Let me know if you think I'm missing something, Amy. All right. So action item number one <clears throat> would be understanding your numbers. And so I think that is so crucial for anybody. We've had a, a few accountants in the past uh, on here. We've had Tyler Jeffcoat with Seller Accountants on here as a, as a recent episode. I would go check out his episode because he lays out the guidelines, maybe some targets that you should be shooting for towards your, you know, what should your average cost of goods sold be based off of your retail price? What should your tacos or your ACOS be, right? And then even what percentage of your total revenue should Amazon fees be, right? And so he gives all of those examples along with what the aggregators or somebody that's looking to acquire your business is looking for in those numbers. So if you have really good numbers that obviously an aggregator or somebody that wants to acquire your business finds interesting, then that means you've got a healthy business. And so 
I 100% echo what Amy talked about. Uh, with physical product brands, cash flow is king. It is so, so important. And if you are paying Amazon to sell your product and you're not making a profit, you're, you're going to go out of business really quick. So if, if that's a concern and that's on your mind and you don't know exactly how much margin you're making from every product sell at a SKU level basis, start doing that today because that will fundamentally change your business and allow you to scale to eight figures and beyond. Action item number two is talking about is really going back to the supplier um, and making sure that you look at uh, you look at every component that's going into the manufacturing for your products and evaluating whether you are truly getting the best price. Um, Amy shared a lot of great examples. Make sure you're not just working with like a trading company that's then the middleman between the manufacturer and you can't have contracts there. Um, she talked about, you know, maybe even diversifying some of your manufacturing so that you don't have all your eggs in one basket. Um, she talked about manufacturing in Mexico. So use those opportunities to try to get the best price possible. And it's not just a, a chat that you're having, you know, uh, whether it be on Alibaba or WeChat or something like that, make sure you create relationships with your suppliers. I know for us, our suppliers that we have are our biggest partners in our business. We've been with our main manufacturer for seven years now, and they are a partner in our business. I want them to succeed because when they succeed, it will allow us to continue to succeed and vice versa. They want us to succeed because that will drive new business for them and, and we have a great relationship with them. So get to that level where you could call up, you know, the owner of your, your manufacturing partner and, and give them a call and talk, uh, because that's what we're able to do with our brand. And it makes a huge difference. Last but not least would be evaluating the markets that you're selling into. Amy, you did a good job of hel helping everybody answer this question of you need to go in and say, why should somebody buy my product rather than what is currently out there on the market? Now, there's a lot of courses that taught, I think, the Me Too method of, well, just go find a niche that's selling really well and then go find somebody to private label that product for you, slap your brand on it, and bam, you're just going to be printing these millions of dollars. And there's so much more that goes into it. It's not just you know slapping your brand on top of something. It's truly bringing something unique and different to the marketplace. Um, as Amazon gets more and more competitive, that message is going to re remain even more important because you're going to need to continue to innovate. One of the interesting things too, to note on that, um, Amy, with AI, the introduction of AI and ChatGBT and all of the fun things that AI are going to bring to the world, some people could be fearful and be like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to lose out to the bots, so to speak. But here's one thing that I've learned is that they're not that the AI is not as good with creative concepts as the humans are. Now, eventually that may change. But for the next five to 10 years, we as humans are going to be the ones that can innovate faster than the robots can. The robots are really good at taking what's existing and following patterns, but we as humans should be looking at how do we innovate? How do we differentiate? 
how do we take bits and pieces from other, you know, inspiration to create something new that customers want? Um, so anyways, a, a boost of encouragement for anybody that's worried about AI in general. But Amy, those are my three takeaways from today's episode. Is there anything else you would add? I think you nailed it. That was such a great summary of everything that we talked about. I would just say that remember a lot of people when they hear me talk about product development and, and you know, inventing something, they think that they have to invent something to succeed. And I would just say that there are so many different ways to get creative and the key is in connection with the customer, which AI cannot build a connection, but we can, right? So the key is in that connection. So how can you connect? And that can be through your branding, your packaging. Um, you know, there's there's so many different ways. You don't always have to invent something new. Uh, you can diversify, like we were saying, through just adding different colors or multi-packs or, you know, just different things. Um, look at Look for those easy ways to expand on what's I love that. That's a good a good point. You don't have to create something that's never been seen before, uh, but creating something different, right? So I love that, Amy. All right, Amy, I have my final three questions I want to go through here with you that I love to ask every guest. So question number one is what's been the best, most influential book that you've read and why? Um, so many. I mean, so, so many along my journey, um, you know, of course, like books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad really helped with the mindset in the beginning because, you know, I grew up in a very blue collar um, family, you know, and I, I didn't really know that there was this whole other side of freedom. Um, so that was a really great book in the beginning uh, to learn from. And then as I grew in my businesses, uh, anything by Mike McCallowitz was really good clockwork, but then, uh, the E-Myth re- revisited, uh, that book really kicked me in the rear and <laughs> made me realize, you know, it gives so many practical examples of how to grow your team and how to be, go from self-employed to business owner. And I'm proud, I'm a proud business owner now, you know, I can go on a trip and not bring my laptop. I can, you know, um, count on my team to run things while I'm gone. And I just, there's so much freedom and so much beauty in that. And uh, so I would encourage anyone who's struggling with that to read the E-Myth Revisited. I think it's by Michael Gerber, if I'm not mistaken. And then on a personal side, um, uh, the book, The Inner Work uh, by Matt and Ash uh, has done so much for my uh, personal growth and just realizing that, you know, I am not my thoughts and that I really, you know, just really helping me grow personally um, and spiritually and emotionally. And that book has been really uh, a game changer. Those are awesome recommendations. And I'll second what you talked about there with the E-Myth and Clockwork. Those are two of some of the best books that I've read to reshape an entrepreneur's mind as to how you need to start working on the business instead of working in the business with very practical ideas of ways that you can start doing that now. And my goodness, it's made a world of a difference as my wife and I, I think, read Clockwork about two years ago. And we've slowly been implementing those things into our business. And that's honestly what's allowed us to scale so much faster. All right. Question number two, Amy, my favorite question here is, 
What is a new software tool that you've been using in your business, or maybe it's an existing one that you've been using for a while that you feel is a game changer in the e-commerce space? Well, you mentioned ChatGPT, and I've been playing around. I've been a Jasper member for, I think, over a year now, and I really have loved that for creating content. ChatGPT, I actually asked it for product ideas the other day, and it gave me some you know, some kind of general product ideas. Uh, but those help spark my imagination and get me moving. So I thought that was really fun. I've been using chat GPT a lot lately. There's so many things you can do with it. Uh, you can say, write me a Facebook post with hashtags about the following subject or give me a, a list of quotes for, you know, uh, for motivation. Give me a list of motivational quotes, those kind of things. Um, so there's so many cool things you can do with it in terms of creating content for your audience and growing your brand that way. Um, so I've loved playing around with the AI tools, Jasper and chat GPT have been awesome, but in the e-commerce side of things, I love smart scout. I mean, they know I'm one of their super fans. Um, uh, I love that tool. I use it on a lot of consulting calls. What's different about it? is they really give you a view into the market that you don't get with any other tool in the e-commerce space. So you can look into subcategories and see who's meeting the subcategory. You can actually see what variations are selling better. You can see where your competitors are getting their traffic from. They have a traffic map where you can actually pull up that ASIN and you can see where the strength of different traffic is coming from. And so I do this with clients a lot where we'll look at, okay, you know, why aren't you selling more than this competitor? What is this competitor? You look like a great choice and you're both on your customers page ones. Like you're awesome. We reverse search these ASINs and you know, you're ranking for a lot of the same keywords, but what are they doing different? And that's where I'll bring it up in that traffic map and we'll go, Oh, wow. They've got, you know, a lot more strength coming from accessory products or whatever. So we can change the advertising strategy to match or work more on external traffic strategies. So Smart Scout, I love, I love those guys. They're really great. They have a seller map too, where you can see what the biggest brands are and click on that brand. And uh, you can actually see all the products that they're selling. I mean, talk about inspiration, ideas, and um, yeah, I love it. It's great. Check it out. <laughs> Amazing. That's a great tool. Great recommendation. All right. Last but not least, who is someone that you admire or respect the most in the e-commerce space that you think other sellers should be paying attention to and why? There's so many. <laughs> There's so many. Oh my goodness. It's so hard. Um, I think that, you know, some of the biggest names that I've learned so much from, um, Really, Joe Reichsfeld, <laughs> that guy is a legend. He has been, you know, he's been a consultant for many years. He sells on so many and helps clients sell on so many different channels. He has a Pinterest course, like a free Pinterest course that mm. helps you grow your brand. He's got so many awesome marketing strategies. He taught me how to create a web page for the Google Doc. Like, there's just so many great things that you can learn from Joe Rexfold. Um, you know, he's been on my podcast a couple of times, and he's always active in the seller group. So definitely check him out. Um, he's he's really smart, and uh, and I just I love that guy. He's great. Um, 
And then I would say, um, oh my gosh, there's so many. Uh, I, for PPC, I love uh, Destiny with Sean and Ritu Java. Those are two of my favorite teachers of PPC strategies. Uh, Jared Orkin, he's incredible in terms of teaching about content, everything like that. Um, and his event, you know, AMZ Innovate is really, really awesome. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, and then there's, of course, Danny McMillan doing seller sessions for so many years and he's just brought on so many guests and I've learned a ton from Danny. Um, it, I could just go on and on and on. There's, there's so many great, uh, great people in the space for sure. Yeah, I agree. I know it's hard to uh, pick just one because there are so many, uh, great people sharing great actionable advice and content, but. I think you gave our listeners uh, a few new ideas or names that we haven't heard on this podcast before. So I hope that's exciting for our listeners. Now, Amy, if people want to reach out to you, they want to maybe take a, uh, you know, an opportunity to have you take a look at their listings. Uh, where should people be reaching out to you? Yeah. So if you'd like me to look at your listing free of charge, no strings attached. It's just me being a nerd and looking at different things you can improve. Um, I'll share my screen. And, and just give you a little overview. Uh, you can go to amazingathome.com. Underneath the services menu, there's a little thing that says free listing review. So check that out at amazingathome.com and just submit your listing so I can get nerdy. It makes me happy and hopefully it'll give you some good tips too. And of course, you can always find me on any of the social channels, Instagram, Facebook. I'm at Amazing at Home. Um, and LinkedIn, I'm there too. Um, but yeah, come, come visit us anytime at amazingathome.com. Awesome. Well, Amy, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and, uh, have a happy new year. And we look forward to, uh, continuing to follow you and what you do at Amazing at Home. Thank you, Josh. Happy new year to all the listeners out there. Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.